HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market. Check out fairwaymarket.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the back of Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45. Calling all of your questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Is that right, Jack? Did I get it right again? Uh, yeah, that's right. Man, I have this thing right all the time. Fire. I know. It's like it's like uh, once, I for- once I remember it, I never forget. Yeah. I'll wake up when I'm 90 and just start screaming that number out to people. <laughs> Don't change that thing because I know I'll never, never remember it again. Never, never change that. Um, I am not joined right now in the studio by Nastasha the Hammer Lopez, but Jack and I don't know where she is. She yeah. should be here, so she probably got caught on that L train. Damn L train. So we're going to have to play that uh, shootsy groove L train song to make fun of the L train later again uh, in one of our, one of our favorite uh, songs, right? So, uh, what's going on here? We have a, oh, is this a new question in? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so while I'm waiting for Nastasha to come in uh, so I can shoot the poop with her, we'll go into some of the questions I missed from last time. Uh, Jonathan Rogers, actually his name is Jonathan Woodruff Rogers III. I did not know that. He was one of our former interns, actually. Nice guy uh, at the FCI. Uh, writes in a question about equipment. Hey, Dave and Nastasha. Uh, nice bumping into you the other afternoon. I'm following up regarding – at the bar, by the way. Um, uh, that's Booker and Dax, our bar. Go visit. Uh, I'm just following up regarding some questions I have uh, in my new gig. I'm catering lunches for a few tech startup companies Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday uh, through the company City Grit. Since it's only three days a week uh, plus prep, I have some free time to experiment with some food, which is good. Very few uh, people who are cooking for a living actually have the time to do a lot of experimentation, which is why uh, you know my job, uh, Director of Culinary Technology at the French Culinary, especially when I was there full time, was so great for that because I didn't have a service to worry about. So that's yeah, and that's why Ferran shuts down his place for uh, you know or you know for half the year or whatever it is, so that he has time to they have time to do experimental work. Um, Anyway, um, okay. Also, the companies allow me to pretty much cook whatever I want uh, with a six-item menu that changes weekly. I have roughly seven thousand dollars to spend, and was wondering what you recommend I get some information on brands and/or recommendation uh, recommend locations to purchase the products. Things I'm interested in having in my life are a deli slicer, a dehydrator, a meat grinder, a chamber vacuum sealer, a fryer, a smoker, or any other cool gadgets within the price range. They're getting a combi oven, and I currently have a circulator. Thinking about getting another one. Any inf- 
information or advice will help. Thanks again. Looking forward to stopping by and letting you know how it's going. Thanks again, JW. Okay. Now, $7,000 is going to get eaten up pretty quickly. Uh... I love a delis. First of all, I would just get another circulator. That's another like 800 bucks right there. Just get another one. This way you have two and you can keep one running while you use the other one for service or you can have, you know, uh, you're never going to regret having two circulators around. Um, now, something like a smoker, um, I would go cheap on the smoker. The smoker, nobody really likes it, but the smoker that everyone gets is only like a couple, like a 150 bucks. It's like the, uh, I forget that there's like a little chief or a big chief or something like that. It's basically just like a quilted metal box, you know, that little fine quilt pattern, metal box with like a, with a heater in the bottom. And, uh, the guys over at Psalm have modified it by drilling a, a hole in the side and putting a smoke generator with a little heater in on the side to cool the smoke down. But, you know, that's basically all there is to it. In a restaurant situation or even in this catering situation in New York City where you don't have the space for a big dedicated smoker, these things are light. They can be moved around very easily. And again, nobody loves them, but, you know, Wiley uses it at WD-50. Um, they use it at Sambar. A bunch of people use this because it's cheap and it's easy to stow away when you're not using it. So that's what I'd recommend for the caterer there. Uh, dehydrator, get the Excalibur. There's no question that you should get the Excalibur dehydrator. And dehydrator is a great thing to have. Uh, Excalibur, is the reason you want to get the Excalibur one, I've used some of the round ones that where the stuff goes through and all this other nonsense. And I've used, uh, I've used some various ones. Unless you can have a lot of money or to custom build one, the Excalibur is great because it gets a lot of racks in it, and the racks are square, which means that they you can lay things out in a way that makes sense. Those round ones with a hole in the middle, what the hell are you going to lay on that? It doesn't make sense. Plus, the dehydrator, it's easy to use flat sheets and dehydrate liquids to make leathers or, or sheets or, or papers. It's also easy to dry things on the perforated racks. It's just, you know, it's also the dehydrator is really good, the Excalibur, because it's very even throughout. So the top rack is going to dry just just as evenly, evenly as the bottom rack. You can use it for fermentation experiments. I mean, you know, I have one. Uh, I've always, you know, have one. We have one at SOM. We have one at the FCI. You know, that's the one that everyone who, anyone who buys a different dehydrator for a restaurant regrets it. So uh, go for the Excalibur, uh, which I guess, you know, does that, I'm, I don't really usually recommend brands like that, but there you go. I actually paid for mine straight up on Amazon. Anyway, they're not that much. Uh, for the deli slicer, now I've been very spoiled in my life. I don't have one right now, but uh, the Hobart Model 3000 is a sick slicer. I did a video for them, and they gave one to me, but I left it to school. I don't know why. I should have taken that thing with me because I love that dang thing so much. But it's it's like, you know, it props up like a car so you can clean underneath it. The blade pops out so you can throw it in the dishwasher. Uh, it slices like a freaking dream. Uh, but... And it slices really, really well. In fact, prior to the Hobart Model 3000, the slicer that I always recommended people get was the Bazerba SE12. Now, a slicer, meat slicer, by the way, just on meat slicer basics, uh, the average meat slicer that uh, we get here in the United States is a gravity slicer, meaning they're on that angle, and you see them, if you see them at deli, they're on an angle, and you're supposed to use gravity to uh, basically force the product into the blade and then slice as you go, right? And it has that little handle that you push down. Rookie mistake, 
if your slicer is not very good or your slicer is not very sharp, you have to apply a good bit of pressure on uh, the item to get it to slice properly as it goes through. Uh, this is a horrible practice and causes the bottom of your meat or whatever you're slicing to kind of wedge out as it's getting cut. It's called like healing out at the bottom, and it's you know it's a sign that you're that a you're not slicer's not great, b it's not that sharp, uh, and c you're pushing too hard. A properly uh, sharpened slicer should not. You shouldn't have to push on it at all. Uh, and part of that is having very good sharp blades. And prior to the Hobart Model 3000, the slicer that I always recommended was the Bezerba SE12 because it had a really good blade and pretty solid um, – a pretty solid uh, carriage mechanism. Uh, is, but you know, nowadays I recommend the Hobart, but you're going to be able to get the Bezerba a lot cheaper than you're going to be able to get the Hobart 3000, and the Bezerba is a great machine. It just doesn't clean uh, quite as easily. The uh, You might be able to get the Bezerba used. I haven't priced one in a long time, but it's going to be a lot cheaper than the, than the 3000. The 3000, though, is oh, primo. In Europe, they actually use something called a vertical slicer. And a vertical slicer is great because instead of using gravity to force the product into the blade, the, the product just sits like it normally would, and the carriage literally moves and feeds the uh, stuff in slice by slice. And these make perfect slices again and again. And th- actually, the first slicers that were made by uh, you know Burkle, Van Burkle, back in you know when he invented the meat slicer were vertical slicers and in Europe they continue to be popular and they make fantastic slice quality but for some reason or other we tend not to use them in uh, in the US um, I don't know if you wrote down uh, vacuum machine but if you I can't remember if yeah vacuum sealer if you're going to get a vacuum sealer I mean uh, go for one you can get a good price on if you're going to get a smaller one I like the mini packs because they have bigger chamber size. Just look at the chamber size. I mean, uh, all of the hoo-ha programming and stuff, I don't know that you're going to use it that much in your application, but get one with a big chamber size. The mini pack and the smaller units especially have a good chamber size, and their price uh, seems to be okay. For catering, I would stay away from any of like, the really cheap ones because they're going to break when you least want them to break. Get one with, a, with, a, with a, the actual good German or equivalent to the German, which is um, – the name's out of my head. Oh my gosh. I, I speak about it all the time. The name of the pump. Uh, starts with a B. Anyway, uh, the um, the pump in that is what's serious. You got to make sure you get the good hardcore German uh, vacuum pump, oil based pump in that. Otherwise, you're going to be asking for problems. Um, okay, so get those. Uh, make sure you have a Vita Prep or two, um, and that's really you know all the really other super high tech stuff. I mean, it's kind of like gilding the lily. You know what I mean? I mean, like all the other stuff. I mean that. The, the core of stuff I just told you is the basis of almost everything um, that we use, with the exception of liquid nitrogen. Get yourself a liquid nitrogen doer. Did I mention that? Get a liquid nitrogen doer. You're not going to regret having liquid nitrogen. All right. Nastasha made it. What was the uh – Stuck in grand. Here, we get over to the microphone so people can hear you. So apparently as we re- – uh, well, don't push the microphone away. You can climb over, go under anything other than pushing the microphone away from me while you're talking. She does not know where her body is in space, by the way. Like, <laughs> Nastasha has no idea where her is. body is within the space around her. So I'm not going to blame her. Like, I don't think she literally did that on purpose. <laughs> Same way that she doesn't understand where doors are when she slams them in your face, which is a constant thing really? with Nastasha. Yeah, you slam. You walk through doors. And then, like, look like you're going to hold them open for people and then slam them on their faces or on bicycles mm. and stuff because you don't really pay attention to people or the world around you as you're walking. Wow. Well, so, I was stuck in the Grand Street Station and no one could find Phil Bravo this morning. So I was. No one knows who Phil Bravo is. No one knows who Phil Bravo yeah, is. Yeah, you've talked about him before. Uh, who's Phil Bravo? He's a friend of mine and 
he didn't go to work today. So, and he he was last seen with me. Wow, well, that's so. Did you kill him? <laughs> no, no. I, he was actually he was with Tristan all night. So. Uh, Phil Bravo is a very cheap man, so I'm sure he followed wherever the yeah. uh, liquor was yeah. cheapest. Yeah. By the way, for those of you not hanging out in New York right now, it's James Beard kind of week, and everyone's going out crazy partying except for me. I was home uh, asleep with my family last night. I was home by midnight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Phil went out with so Tristan until got him. I heard Harold McGee was partying like a rock star last <laughs> night with Daniel Patterson and Chris Constantino, really? t- three of our good friends uh, out there uh, hanging out, having fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of James Beard, congratulations to uh, Tozy, Christine yeah. Tozy. Yeah, yeah. Our, our good buddy went won that PDT. Uh, you know, great bar, won uh, best bar. Who else won? Do you remember Daniel Hum won? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry for all of our friends who are up for awards that did not win, but congratulations out to those people who did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so, how long were you sitting at the Grand Street Station? It was stopped for like 15 minutes. I was going to be right on time. And it was, we were stopped there with the doors open. And I was like, could I walk from here? But then you know that minute when you're like, what if we go right now? I, I do know that minute. Yeah. I know that minute. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but you always get burnt by that minute. Yes. There's nothing worse than sitting in mass transit, not being able to control yes. your destiny, thinking at any minute this sucker might move yeah. again. Yeah. And you, with, the, with the door was open, and every, se- open. every second every you second got to decide like, whether... Yeah, yeah, every minute. And then it was one of those electronic things. So they just said, train traffic ahead. I was in the Grand like, Central the other day, on Sunday, going to the Bronx Zoo, which, by the way, is not an eating zoo. You don't get to eat any of the animals that are at the Bronx Zoo. My kids were joking about that as we were there. Anyways, the, uh, when you, the trains were not running out of Grand Central. The whole thing was shut down. It was incredibly calm. No one was flipping out. No one was anything. I've never seen Grand Central that Metro calm. Metro North trains? Metro North trains. All of them Whoa. were shut down for like two and a half hours. Whoa. The only person not calm was my son. <laughs> freaking out. Okay. Uh, question. Another question from last week. Don writes in about soda. You may remember that I met you at the BAR, that's Beverage Alcohol Resource School, in September at the Astor Center. Uh, I am in the planning phase to open a bar, and soda slash carbonation has me uh, at a conundrum. I don't want soda guns. I wouldn't mind bottles, but that's a very high cost and a storage problem. I love the look and ease of ISI soda bottles, but the cost of chargers is stratospheric. I like the work you've done with carbonation systems using the compressor and plastic bottles, but how practical are they in a working bar? It seems to make a huge stick mess pretty quick. What is Booker and Dax doing for carbonated beverages? On a related note, I tried to carbonate a Negroni using the ISI soda bottle, and I just got a glass of foam. What can I do to prevent that? Love the show, Don. Okay, carbonation in a nutshell. The only thing that's really currently available on the market right now that does really good carbonation, my level of carbonation, what I think is an acceptable level of carbonation, is um, is using soda bottles with the uh, carbonator cap manufactured by the Liquid Bread Corporation coming out of a 5 or 20 pound CO2 tank. You need to pre-chill it much colder than refrigerator temperatures, right? Like until it's almost frozen. And then you need to uh, you need to carbonate it three times before service. Uh, a one liter bottle is what I recommend. A one liter bottle will hold roughly five pours of drink. And so you do a bunch beforehand and they, and they get going. The reason that you're foaming is several fold. One, you probably don't have enough water in it, right? The first mistake people are making when they're doing uh, drinks is to, um, 
is to not add enough water to the carbonated drink. They, they treat it like you'll make a drink by shaking, which isn't actually – shaking might make a drink cold enough to carbonate. In fact, shaking will make a drink that's kind of barely cold enough to carbonate. The problem is shaking a drink will make a drink that's too alcoholic to be really successful over the long term as a carbonated drink. What do I mean by this? If you take a drink, a stri- like Negroni, first of all, instead of stirring the Negroni, if you're going to carbonate it, you must shake it. Because stirred Negroni, A, is nowhere near cold enough to carbonate properly. You're going to foam all over the place. And B, it's nowhere near diluted enough to carbonate properly. So the first thing you're going to have to do when you, when you make a Negroni carbonated is to shake it. Then you're going to uh, – it's still going to be too alcoholic and it will taste good for the first sips. But the problem is is that you can't have like three – two or three of those because it's going to get not just because it's going to mess you up but because it's going to be uh, somewhat cloying over time if you just take that Negroni that you made that way and just as a test uh, and you know I was talking to Toby Chikini about this and he was saying the same thing he's like add a little bit of soda water to that and see how much more kind of delicious and refreshing it is just lightening it a little bit if you were going to make uh, a carbonated drink, I'll tell you what our ratios are at the bar. Our ratios for a drink for a five-ounce uh, pour, uh, our ratios are 1.75 ounces of strong, that's of straight liquor, and 3.25 ounces of, uh, of water or weak, like including like simple syrup and juice and all that. And everyone's like, oh my god, that's so weak. Listen, it's not. I've done tests again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And those ratios are the ratios that make, in my opinion, a good drink. If you have more alcohol than that, you need to get it ridiculously cold to carbonate it properly. And you're really going to put people on the floor, right? I mean, I've done straight, uh, you know, 40% liquor carbonated stuff before, but they have to be basically minus uh minus 18 celsius to work properly uh they don't balance well and you can't have that very many of them and they hit people like a ton of bricks you're much better using the ratios that uh, i just told you getting it cold till it's almost frozen and 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 doing it the way we do it at the bar is i have a very special refrigerator uh the randall fx right uh and what it can maintain very very accurate temperatures so i set that thing to be 23 fahrenheit 22, 23 Fahrenheit, which is what I think is the good place between 20 and 23 Fahrenheit, which is where I think the carbonated drink should be. Uh, I think it's like 23 is what we set it at. And then I let them chill in there until they're chilled, a couple hours. Uh, and then before service, I carbonate them and they stay in there and I keep refluffing it after I do every one. The, the ISI chargers is going to cost you too much. It's not going to work out. Uh, most people's carbonated drinks, I think, are only very lightly carbonated compared to what kind of I want. And one of the reasons is because they foam too much. It's because their drinks aren't cold enough or they're putting it through a keg system, which causes a lot of foaming. Alcohol in general foams a lot uh, and so you're kind of you know barking up a hard tree plus you need to carbonate alcohol more than you carbonate water for the same sensation of carbonation so not only does alcohol foam more but um, it also needs to be carbonated higher so you get double the foam and so everything seems very very foamy your solutions are reduce the alcohol proportion slightly and uh, chill it much more than you're chilling it now but to me, bottles are the way to go in a bar until we finish our system and get it done right, right? Right. Which I'm working on right now. I just ordered – I built one that works and I'm building another one that works, which hopefully we're going to take to Japan with us. Mm-hmm. You want to bring that to Japan? Mm-hmm. Because we need another thing that can break when we go somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Nothing's better than stuff that breaks. You like breaking stuff? Yes. It's awesome. It's awesome. Okay. Uh, that answered that, show, that question, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Why don't we take our first commercial break and uh, come back with some more questions? 
Today's program is brought to you by Fairway Market. Whether you are cooking for one or for a crowd, Fairway Market literally has everything you need for a fantastic meal. But if you don't feel like cooking, no worries. They cater. Check out fairwaymarket.com for more information. And be sure to check the new blog, On Our Plate, for weekly specials, health tips, and recipes. That's a baseline right there, huh? Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's your homage to MCA, huh? Yeah. I, you know, I didn't even know. It sucks. I didn't even know that he died until a couple days afterwards. But that's the end of an era, right? Yeah, indeed. Uh, and uh, an interesting tidbit there is a Tibetan doctor advised him to go vegan in uh, the last month or so. No. Yeah. <laughs> So, so okay. I'm just putting that out there. What's the I'm, meaning I'm, of I'm that? I'm just putting that out there. I know. <laughs> they, well, they, you know, they were saying when Steve Jobs passed that uh, he was he was vegan stubbornly, and 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 it may have not been the best idea. Really? Well, look, it, it turns out that uh, turns out that we all die eventually. <laughs> like this is one of those things that happens. Like regardless of whether you eat vegan or not, turns out you're going to die. Uh, it's one of the hard things to kind of like kind of get a handle on, but it's true. Uh, and uh, uh, one of the things that bothers me is uh, any sort of health claim related to uh, diet. While it's true that I think I could construct pretty unhealthy diets out of any sort of uh, uh, food taste or food thing, like I could construct an incredibly unhealthy vegan diet. I could construct a healthy vegan diet. I could construct an incredibly unhealthy meat-based diet. I could construct a healthy one. I mean, there's, it's like, mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, the idea that you could, I mean, first of all, when you're really sick, uh, I know I would be grasping at anything to try and make myself uh, be better, but my semi-healthy self telling myself now in the future is, uh, first of all, when you're sick, it's already too, it's too, too dang late. I'd like to hear somewhat not too dang late. I mean, obviously, if you have a long-term chronic thing, you change your habits, you get better, right? I mean, I just – I'm very uh, – I don't like in general the notion of people selling dietary cures to uh, Yeah, that was illnesses. my point kind of too. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I would love to hear someone call in and tell me that I'm the world's biggest jerk-off for saying that, but – in general, uh, my philosophy, not backed by science, but my philosophy is that uh, the healthiest diet is to eat a wide variety of uh, interesting foods in moderation that make you happy and sated. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Now, if you're happy and sated uh, eating vegan because you don't want to take in animal products, then you should eat vegan, right? Yeah. You know? Um Speaking of which, go on the uh, Amazon and look up uh, Michael uh, Natkin's book. I'm curious to see how, how, it's, how it's doing. Hopefully doing quite well. We'll give you a follow-up on the thing. Uh, we talked about his book last week and uh, his uh, kind of slap across our face for um, talking about uh, people's dietary choices. Okay. Uh, long-time listener Ken, Ing- Ken Ingber writes in uh, two things. One, he wrote a, an article about a coffee trip that he took to um, – 
you know, New York. I, we read it. We couldn't read it online, uh, you know, on the air because it, you know, it was long, right? Mm. Uh, but apparently, he's going to get it published in Coffee Geek, maybe, which is nice, yeah. right? But he, uh, just to give you a preview in case it comes out on there, he had enough shots of espresso during a day to to basically turn him into a Christmas Chihuahua. Just like, you know, shaking, caffeinated. I'm sure he did. I mean, I didn't see him afterwards, but I'm assuming. I know if I had that much caffeine in me, it would be uh, a nightmare. And I'm a very caffeinated fellow. Okay. Uh, Ken writes in, I'm making a French dinner this weekend. Of course, it's two weekends ago, so we missed it. I'm making a French dinner this weekend. and want it to end with good humor. Good humor is a pun in this case. Uh, in particular, my dessert will be a creamsicle brulee. Uh, creme brulee with br- blood orange foam. I aspire to get my guests weeping a la Alinea over their childhood memories of a good humor creamsicle, but I will settle for an appreciative groan. So how do I make a foam with juice? I combine the juice with li- liquid lecithin and put it in my Nespresso milk frother. I got no foam and lecithin did not mix with the juice, but instead stuck to the spring coil frothing device and is next to impossible to clean. Liquid lecithin is nasty. Na- lecithin in general is pretty nasty. I only, I very rarely use lecithin, by the way. You ever see me use it? No. No, I don't use it. Uh, I imagine Modernist Pantry has some magic powder, but the dinner is Saturday, uh, so I do have a lot of time. I have agar agar in the house, but don't think that's suitable. Can I just use a little egg white and lie if the guests use, uh, ask if I'm using raw eggs? Uh... Uh, follow up to that. Cancel my request on the foam unless you find it interesting. Uh, I was unsuccessful using the lecithin uh, despite multiple assurances on the internet. I'm throwing it away. I'm throwing it away as it is not pleasant to work with. It is as pleasant as roofing tar. Uh, I used egg white and gelatin, uh, the foamer, hot and cold, and immersion blender, and had some success with gelatin, uh, but it was a lot of fuss and uh, didn't do it because it was a pain in the butt. Okay. Uh, I assume something like Versa Whip would work. As I said, I did not have time to order from Modernist Pantry. Oh, well. Well, Ken. You know, Modernist Pantry has quick shipping to anyone in the world. In fact, someone else wrote in, we'll get to it later, basically saying that it was quick. But um, VersaWhip, you're quite white, right. VersaWhip is uh, what you should probably use for that. Uh, and uh, Evan Freeman, our friend Evan Freeman, uh, had a blood and sand recipe with an orange foam on top that was, in fact, made with uh, VersaWhip. And uh, his recipe is 200 grams of orange juice and 2.5 grams of VersaWhip. Uh, he doesn't say what kind of Versa Whip because that's like Eben. He just won't tell you what kind. You know what I mean? Thanks, Eben. Anyway, uh, 2.5 grams of Versa Whip, which is a lot of Versa Whip. It's like a, you know, it's a lot, right? Uh, and it's over a percent. In general, I, I try to add gums in, in the percent or less range, but in this case, I don't think it matters because it's going to be whipped up. And a half gram of xanthan gum, and the xanthan is there to provide body to it and to hold once it whips up. The Versa Whip's a whipping agent, but the Versa Whip's not going to hold the foam, right? The xanthan is there to hold the foam uh, after the Versa Whip whips it up, okay? And then use an immersion blender with a whisk attachment to whip it into a foam and ladle it on top. Another thing you can do that's incredibly simple and doesn't require ordering anything online and creates a very dense orange orangey, orangey foam. It's, you're going to want to uh, acidi- acidify it a little bit. So orange plus a little bit of, uh, of lemon to make it uh, you know, more like a sour orange, right? Set that into an agar gel, pretty stiff, like 0.8 to 1% agar gel. Blend it in a blender. Now you have a fluid gel. If you mix that with straight cream in a whipper, in an ISI whipper, uh, when you squirt it out, you get a dense, dense foam, and the agar fluid gel uh, stops the cream from breaking, and you actually can have the re- a really dense creamsicle-like fluid gel, and we've done that many times, and that's my favorite kind of citrus foam, because it 
has that awesome mouthfeel of whipped cream, which you can't beat. You can't beat the mouthfeel of whipped cream, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, it's even denser than whipped cream. It's like dense and creamy, but also orangey and acidic without breaking. And that'll hold for a while. So next time you do it, or if anyone wants to do it, like I think that's a good, uh, that's a good way to do it, right? Yes. Yes. Nastasha's like, I don't really care. I don't care. No, so this, his book, Michael Natkin's book, got 10 five-star reviews. Wow. It, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. So maybe we should buy it. We How should. much is it? Sixteen twenty-nine. Sixteen twenty-nine. Prime you know on Amazon. You know what? I'll, I'll make sure we book him for one of the other shows where okay. we do more, uh, you know, authors of books and stuff like that. And he used to be a an engineer on the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. What? Whoa. Yeah. What do you mean? He, used to, he, where is it? He was a software engineer making dinosaurs for Jurassic Park. That's baller. Yeah. You know, my wife was saying, should we let the kids watch the Jurassic yeah. Park, or is it too damn scary? I think it's, the guy gets eaten. Yeah, that's the, the postman one, yeah, from Seinfeld one, gets eaten. That's the one. Right? Oh, I was pretty yeah. young when I saw it, and it was pretty awesome, though. Like well, how, how young is young? I think I must have been like... I have to look it up. I'll actually go look up the release date. Yeah, your real answer to that. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, everyone should go out and buy his book. We're going to buy a copy of the book, and uh, Jack's going to try to get him booked onto a show. Yeah, and let's have him build a dinosaur. I was seven years old. Sorry, I was seven. Seven? Man, I was like eighty-five when that movie came out. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Chip writes in regarding circulators. Uh, He misses the hammer and Dave and Jack, but does not miss Carlos. (laughs) Wow! Really? Yeah. Hardcore. Man, I like a guy who respects the loyalty. Miss the Hammer, like Mr. or Mrs. Oh, maybe Miss the Hammer and Dave, yeah. And oh. Jack, but not Carlos. He does say, but not Carlos, oh. he's messed up. Well, he's not saying hello. Or anyway, he's not anyway, anyway. <laughs> All right, regardless. Uh, he says, I know you're not the biggest proponent of DIY thermal circulators, but my wife won't let me drop a G on one yet, so I had to do my best. I'm familiar with this problem, Chip. Uh, I made the version on Seattle Food Geek a while back, but quickly found that the pump being submerged was the slash A problem. And while I was cooking potatoes, uh, I guess it went south on him when he was cooking potatoes for the modernist cuisine yucky recipe. So I wanted to move it out of the water. Finding a pump that would A, handle the heat, and B, would be self-priming was a bit of a challenge. But if there is a need, it is sold on eBay. So I found one there. That's, that's fact. That's almost every dang thing on eBay. Almost. Almost every dang thing on eBay. I used an, uh, an SSR, which is a solid-state relay for all you folks out there. By the way, in case you're the person who listens to our show who doesn't know what a circulator is, uh, it's uh, a device that uh, keeps water usually or any other liquid, but with a DIY, definitely only use water and try to keep it clean. Uh, uh, at a very precise temperature, which is invaluable for doing kind of modern low temperature cooking, which is, you know, I, I, I use it all the time. They're about 800 bucks now uh, at the uh, at JB Prince or at the Williams Sonoma. Um, and so a lot of people have been making their own. Uh, by the way, uh, I am not against DIY uh, circulators. In fact, I applaud anyone that wants to build something themselves. It's just usually you end up with something where you've spent a lot of hours building it and it's not quite as functional. I think there's so many people working on the DIY circulators that I'm pretty sure they're pretty good by now. But he's quite right. The main problem is the, the, the pump. Uh, let me go on to keep on going. Uh, I also uh, – this is Chip again. I also had the, uh, the case for it laser cut on Pinoco.com. Pinoco.com is pretty cool. You just send them like the pictures and they can laser cut stuff and they ship it back to you. Uh, so it took a little more, so it looks a little more like a retail product. I still need to address some of the visual issues with it, but what is? It works for now. I like what is. Victoria says that. Uh, and our, our, uh, our former intern works with us a lot. Anyway, uh, anyway, I thought I'd share. Thanks for the great show. Modernist Pantry does have fast shipping. 
Thanks, Chip. I looked at uh, at Chip's circulator. I don't know if it's available online. Damn thing does look pretty good. Uh, one thing I'm going to say, if you're going to build a circulator, the main parts are a controller. Controllers can now be had for $30 or less uh, in that range on eBay and at Auburn Instruments. Uh, some people buy controllers with re- relays in them. I don't recommend using a regular relay because it's another failure point that I don't enjoy having. I don't enjoy failure points. Uh, I use a solid-state relay, which he uses. They're not that expensive. They can be had for very cheap at this point um and a an immersion heater which you can basically crib from almost anything a, you know a, a hot water heater whatever i don't know what these guys are using diy a temperature sensor again only a several dollar problem now and then the case that's the hard part and the pump pumps break a lot and real circulators basically uh have a long shaft and they just sit there spinning a stainless steel blade to, to do the pumping and it ends up being good over the long term i've had most of my plastic uh in and out pumps like the one you're using here fail over time but uh you know good luck with it. it looks like a good job looks like you did a good job right yeah yep you want to take one more commercial break sure. let's take another commercial break call your questions to 718-497-2128 that's 718-497-2128 call your Nastasha, for those of you that don't know, likes to just kind of like make weird judgments about things. Decided, parrots are like this too, by the way, just decides does not like uh, my shirt, right? Uh, And the reason is I'm wearing one of my favorite shirts, which is a hunting shirt. It's blaze orange. And her opinion is that it makes me look like a uh, prison uh, work gang who (laughs) – the reason prisoners wear orange is the same reason hunters wear orange is to be seen easily. Mm-hmm. The hunters do it so they don't get shot, and the prisoners do it so that they can get shot if they try to escape. <laughs> See? Slightly different. But uh, none of that has anything to do with my shirt, which uh, I'm not neither hunting nor hopefully going to prison today. So uh, I don't really understand uh, Nastasha's problem with it. Anyway. Derek Bodkin writes in uh, about uh, a popcorn machine. Dave and Co., recently I learned about Chinese popcorn in uh, parens. Uh, not parens. Quotes. Why I say parens? My quotes. Uh, apparently a method where kernels are, seal- kernels are sealed in a container and superheated, then allowed to explosively decompress, popping them all at once. Here is a link. And you look on like look for explosively awesome on the internets uh, and boing boing and whatnot. In your humble opinions, is it possible to hack together a setup to do this in a home kitchen? Thanks for your help and insight, and keep being awesome, Derek Botkin. Okay, 
you have asked a question uh, that I actually do know something about because I actually have tried to do this at home before many, many, many years ago. Like uh, before I had kids, so it's more than 10 years ago, probably 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Um, so I have been interested in a long time for uh, – in a piece of equipment called a puffing gun. Now, when they were inventing breakfast cereals uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, end of, end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, and you know, in that range uh, was when all of the really butt-kicking breakfast cereal concepts were invented, except one, except one. So uh, flakes – were invented back then, and the way they were made is with a giant, oversized, basically pasta machine, where you like you temper out uh, actual whole kernels, and you feed them through these incredibly. They're cooled, and they're incredibly massive uh, and sturdy roll rollers, and it just boop smashes them into flakes, and the flakes shoot out onto a, onto a mat, and that's it. They're done. That was invented back then. The shredder to make shredded wheat was invented back then, and that's basically the same concept, but the roller has ridges in it, so it extrudes them into shredded wheat shapes, right? Um, also, uh, at that time, was invented the puffing gun. And the puffing gun, right, is an amazing piece of equipment where what you do is... So, corn, you can pop normally. There's really no need to do this with popcorn because corn, you can pop. You know what I mean? But you can't pop wheat, uh, and you can't pop rice the same way. You can puff it by frying, but you can't puff it the same way popcorn does. And the reason is, is that the uh, the outside, the skin of the popcorn is so uh, it seals in the water so well that when you're uh, heating it in oil, water pressure can build up on the inside of the kernel in the endosperm to the point where it explosively decompresses and you get popcorn, right? That's what's happening. When you do wheat, it's very hard to do regular wheat because uh, the moisture leaks out of the uh, out of the outside, right? Because it's not as uh, hard. The outside is not as like no, leak-proof. And so it won't pop explosively the same way that... Uh, popcorn will. So the solution to this, right, same with rice, the solution to this is to heat these uh, these items under a lot of pressure. What's a lot of pressure? Uh, like 175 PSI in that range because they're trying to get it up to the same temperatures that you would get when you're frying popcorn, like 360 three, in that range, 350 Fahrenheit, 360 Fahrenheit, around there, right? And so you start with a grain that has the proper amount of moisture in it, which I forget what that is. I can go look it up. It's something like 10% or something in that range, right? You then seal it. You heat it under a massive amount of pressure. And what that means is, is that the water inside is uh, hot, Right, and it's also under pressure, so it won't boil. Then you release the pressure very suddenly, and all of a sudden, all that water expands all at once, and it pops. It doesn't need the outside of the grain to hold the moisture in the way that you would uh, with regular popcorn. Uh, so the unit that you pointed to on the video that the guy is using on the street corner, I would not walk anywhere near that sucker. That sucker was so freaking ghetto, that thing could blow up at any second. I happen to know that when he's puffing that stuff, it's under at least 150 PSI, probably higher, right? So you don't want to – and basically what you do is, is he literally has a, a, like a, like a, like what looks like a homemade boiler that he's spinning, and that's good because you need to you know, get the heat evenly transferred throughout it, right? So it's spinning over a fire that he has stoked with coal and with like what looks like a modified hairdryer, 
right? And and what looks like a freaking vice grip holding the whole damn thing together, he right? He looked really happy, though. He looked, like, happy. He looked happy because he's not dead. Every second that he works and he's not dead, he's happy. <laughs> then he sticks it into, a, you know, this what looks like a long windsock, which was incredibly dirty, by the way. I don't know that I'd buy I mean, it was incredibly dirty. Uh, and then... Puts a stick in, pulls the pin, bam, the thing blows up. Now, maybe this thing is actually manufactured by somebody to some sort of specifications, but the idea of heating something over an open fire with no protection that looks homemade to 170 PSI, 150, 170 PSI, and then explosively decompressing it time after time outside, it uh, freaks me out. <laughs> put it that way. So how did I attempt to do this? I bought uh, some pipes that were rated to 150 uh, PSI or higher. Actually, I got like 80, 80 uh, Schedule 80, which was rated higher than 150 PSI, uh, made out of steel. I uh, put them all together uh, with a heater, water heater on the inside, which was one of the weak points, and an overpressure valve so that it wouldn't go above the pressure that I wanted to, and a thermometer, all done with pipes, whether regular pipes. Uh, filled it with... Uh, uh, corn, which was my first test because I was trying to I was I was working on a on a um, on doing a nuclear explosion uh, out of candy and popcorn, and so I was trying to actually do a puffing gun thing for that. Uh, and uh, the problem was is that the piping system that I had didn't seal properly, and so I was getting venting and steam out. I did get it up to like 120 psi before I and I literally like like I said I used vice grips with like a with a pull string to pull it and uh i what i successfully did was spray burning hot popcorn kernels all over my all over my house i didn't actually i popped maybe four or five of them but i didn't get it to be done the way uh, the way you'd want and i think my main problem was is i tried to have a little bit of water medium in there to heat it i tried heating it internally instead of having an external fire with rotation which is the way that it's always done is external heat and agitation uh and the piping system it was just hard to get it to seal very well that thick pipe because it was like two inch pipe it was hard to get it to seal accurately at those high high temperatures because uh, the, I used Teflon tape, but it, I don't know, it just didn't work. So uh, I'm going to build one eventually because for the Museum of Food and Drink cereal exhibition, we're going to have uh, a cereal exhibit in the Museum of Food and Drink, which we're working on now. We have our first, we have our, well, we have a new full time uh, employee at the Museum of Food and Drink, even though he's not getting paid. So he's not an employee, I guess, because he's not getting paid. But Peter Kim, formerly one of our lawyers uh, at uh, Devil Boys and, and Big Plimpton, uh, Big Plimpton. Anyway, so like they, uh, uh, he quit being a lawyer. He believes in the museum project so much. He quit being a lawyer, and he is now working in the museum full time, which we're very, very excited about. Yeah. Uh, so the museum will have one. There are small commercial machines that that are not quite so uh, wonky in Korea that actually make puffed rice cakes, a la minute. And I forget the name of them, but it's something like like Bing, like boing, boing. The noise of the actual thing working is what it is in Korean, but I don't know what the noise is, so I can't tell you what it is. But you could go look that up. Uh, the third and, uh, and uh, the third kind of uh, machine, by the way, for cereal, uh, and it, it, the one that was not invented early on in the game, is the twin 
screw extruder, which basically was a, a piece of equipment that was invented for the plastics industry, and that's how they make Captain Crunch uh, and all things like that. They basically have a screw under enormous pressure that takes in grains uh, or whatever under enormous pressure, and then a- and it heats up the pressure and the and the actual screw mechanism of putting it through the thing heats it up so that when it comes out of a die at the end, much like a pasta die, like a pasta extruder, but it's under such heat and pressure that when it comes out the end, it whoop, puffs up into Captain Crunch or Kicks or whatever. And that's how they make all of those cereals. And so we're going to have one of those at the exhibit too because that's pretty badass, right? It is. Yeah, I've always wanted one of those. I went to uh, I went to visit Cornell years ago and they let me look at theirs. They have small pilot ones. Shouldn't we get one? Yeah, we should. Right? Let's get Peter on that. Let's get Peter on that son of a gun. <laughs> right? But we want a big one. Like, that's the thing. Like, if we got anyone out there who has used cereal equipment, I called up the Puritan Manufacturing Corporation, by the way, is the corporation that used to make all the old puffing guns. They no longer use uh, those puffing guns um, in commercially in the U.S. They've moved to a, a system called a continuous puffer. That's a batch puffing thing. Uh, and, you know, they've moved to continuous puffers. And so all the old ones get sent back, refurbed, and now most of them are, are used in factories in Mexico. So I wasn't able to locate someone with an old uh, puffing gun that wanted to donate it to the museum. So if anyone out there uh, can get their hands on an old Puritan Manufacturing uh, Corporation puffing gun, the museum would love – and we are now 501c3, right? No, no, we're, still We're still pending. We're still pending. We're still pending, but believe me, we're going to get that 501c3. So you'll be able to write off that Puritan puffing gun <laughs> when you donate it to the museum. And the little kids are going to be so happy when we're exploding cereal in front of their parents. Imagine that? Like 10, 9, 8 well, – all the way down to one, boom! And like cereal spraying everywhere, goggles and bowls, and we're gonna have it's like better than the um, what was that store in Times Square your kids liked? Oh, which one? Uh, Pop Tart. Oh, the Pop Tart Pop Up. The Pop Tart Pop Up. They weren't making Pop Tarts. Here's the thing. No, they weren't making them. Yeah, no, they had these machine that you could make pick your own pack and it would do it. But it's not like I mean, and they charged a lot. Mm-hmm. They charged a lot. All right. Finally. Uh, in from uh, Elliot Papineau, writes in, a uh, long-time listener. Uh, Dave, Nastasha, and Jack. What book, and he, I got this over Twitter, too, actually. Cool. I'm on the Twitter now, I by know. the way. You know, if people keep addressing me in these questions, I'm going to have to try to answer one of them. Go, well, you don't mean... Don't try, Jack, don't try. What do you mean, don't try? Wow. <laughs> what the hell is that? Thanks. Nastasha's so rough. Nastasha, by the way, by the way, by the way, before I get into this question, uh, I'm going to run, you know, a minute late, like I always do, or three or four. But, like, uh, so... I say to Nastasha, like, she, she says that she never answers questions here when I ask her because I don't give her the time to answer. I think, okay. What do you mean? Is that, what you, is that not what you say to me? I just remember David Chang's explanation. Right. Well, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Okay. We'll get into that in a second. <laughs> My point is, we're on the radio. It's not like, Nastasha wants me to ask her a question and then pause for like 35, 40 seconds and wait for an answer. And I'm like, you know, we're on the radio. It's not like at the dinner table where, like, you know, they can see the thoughtful pause. You know? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So she, she says, I don't give uh, enough uh, time. And she's referring to another time when Dave Chang was laughing at me. And Nastasha, this is Nastasha's favorite it is. comment it of is. all it times. Is. It is. Is it basically, uh, and he's talking about, like, a, a, a demo I was doing with McGee, where I will ask a question, then answer it, ask a question, then answer it, without letting the other person... Well, he's like, Harold, what color is the sky today? And Harold's like, well... I, and Dave's like, it's blue. It's blue. I'm not, first of all, I'm not like that. <laughs> yes, you are. I'm not like that. You get- 
No, yes. I'm not. Uh, whatever. We can have more more discussions about this later. But the final question in: What book do you recommend about alliums? I just ordered "Having Your Ramps and Eating Them Too" by Glenn Fackmeyer Jr. Hopefully, it does not suck. Now, first of all, I think Fackmeyer is an amazing name. Do you love that name? I like it. Fackmeyer, because it sounds like you're mired in facts. Like, like you don't even like facts, but like you're stuck in them, like quicksand. You can't get out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like that. But you want to talk about how much? You, have we already talked about how much you hate ramps on the on the on the yeah, show? Yeah, we have. We have. Yeah. I think they're good. I don't like people's like of them. See, this is classic Nastasha here. <laughs> the actual product is good, but the people, the fact that people like them. Is no good, and therefore she does not like them or does not want to see them. Same is true with weather. Uh, she doesn't like you good feel weather. The same. What? You feel the same about weather? No, no, I, a little bit. No, I, I still like the. You do not like weather, good weather, because other people like it. Because they get overly happy about it, As, like with ramps, overly happy. Crazy. Okay. I feel you on the ramps thing. Thank you, Jack. Well, of course, you work in Rampland. We're here at Roberta's. <laughs> like, Roberta's is like, you know, happy, feely, forage, grow. Beards. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully, Senor Fackmeyer's book on ramps does not suck. Uh, with ramp season ending and green garlic and scape season beginning, can you talk about some things uh, to do with alliums, nitro muddling maybe? Uh, and uh, by the way, he also asked a separate question, which I'll answer, which is what are some good books on uh, alliums. I'm also having... Uh, do you understand what this is? Is that a hoe? It's like a... Oh, he's also having a really nice hoe made by Red Pig... Uh, is that... What do you call that? A hoe? Some sort of garden implement there? Made by uh, Red Pig Tools for my mom for Mother's the, Day. Hopefully your mom does Of course your mom doesn't listen to the show, but it looks like a very nice thing. I'm sure she'll be very happy. Have you ever considered using Twitter or Facebook for questions for the show? Well, I did get from you this question, so I am going to answer uh, both parts of it. On, I don't own any books on onions exclusively. I own two books on garlic that address onions somewhat, uh, and I'll talk about uh, both of them. The one I've spoken about on this show before, which is um, it, it's called uh, Garlic and Other Alliums by uh, Eric Block, and it is kind of it's supposed to be a compendium of lore and science and all this, but it's it has some of the lore and a lot of the history and a lot of the bibliography on garlic, uh, but the science is fairly in-depth, and it serves really kind of as a review from time immemorial of the science behind the chemistry of alliums, which is quite complex, and some stuff on, on like, its cookery and its use, but it's strongest on the science and on taxonomy and things like that for garlic and other alliums, onions and whatnot. Uh, it's dense. Right. Uh, the other book I have is called The Complete Book of Garlic, A Guide for Gardeners, Growers, and Serious Cooks by Ted Jordan Meredith. And that book is uh, fantastic. And you had mentioned on the Twitter that uh, you were interested in books that talked about cultivation. And that book is a nice book to read. It depressed me because I don't have the ability to grow garlic. I don't have the ability to grow anything uh, where I live because I don't get light. I can't even have a window box because I don't really get light in my apartment. Nastasha has a plot of land. I do. Where is that, sucker? 48th Street. It's yeah. in a community garden. They gave me another plot because they were so impressed with my plot. Yeah, or no one else wanted it. I guess. You know. I, we'll, we'll choose to think that it's because you did such a good <laughs> they job. They told me I did a really good but job. But you had that Latvian lady tell you that your job sucked. That was when it was all seedlings. Now it's all out and it looks beautiful. Better than the people next door? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Nastasha, by the way, has a feeling that she's great at all the things like this. But I, I tend to think that she probably what? has a good garden. I do. I do. I do. I'll bring a picture. 
Yeah? Yeah. Maybe you'll post it on you our... You can post on, it on Twitter. I'll post it on the Twitter account? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So uh, the, the, the point is, is that this book is depressing for me because I can't grow garlic, but it doesn't even have recipes, which I love. What it is is it's a book about garlic varieties and uh, some history and some lore and uh, how they're used in a culinary sense, what makes a great culinary garlic, and uh, and all the different varieties, and planter's notes, and how to grow them, and where they respond best, uh, with lots of great pictures, uh, but without recipes, and clearly written by someone who cooks with them all the time and knows how to cook. Uh, and these kind of books are rare. Usually you either have books that are basically recipe books that have something about the actual product – Right, like garlic in this case, or you have books that are exclusively about garlic with, that aren't written from the perspective of a cook. This is, you know, fairly rare in this kind of field in that it's a book written for uh, g- uh, people who are gardeners, but who garden with garlic not because they're interested in garlic as a theoretical thing but because they're interested in garlic the cooking item uh and it's a good book for that it's great if you are planning on growing garlic uh go ahead and get it uh one of the best discussions of it is uh he has it goes to a very good discussion in that book about um about why you would plant different kinds of garlic. And it's because different kinds of garlic are good as the season progresses. Very much similar to kind of what I say about apples, that apples, uh, there's an apple for every time and for every place. So, you know, he goes through what I thought was a very great discussion of kind of the usefulness of having different varieties and also of kind of the challenges of growing garlic and the fact that garlic uh, over the first couple of years that you planted in your your garden is going to acclimatize to your garden. It's just really, I think it's an interesting book. Uh, I I would go with that. I don't have a good... Uh, onion, onion book for you. Does now, garlic start as a seed? You plant the you, the pl- you plant the, the one of the yeah you plant the clove. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, and it talks something about using. He doesn't use the bulbils that much, but it talks about using scapes and all those other things and what he uses. But it's not a recipe book, thank God. Um, as for uses, I mean, other than the ones that we always – I don't have any new onion uses. I mean, other than the ones we always, always harp on, which is pressure cooking onions, uh, which, you know, Nils used to make ice cream with. Uh, I like pressure – I like uh, doing like dual onion soup, like pressure cooked – massive amounts of pressure cooked onions into a beef stock or a veg, I guess. And then, uh, and then sautéing onions regularly and adding them for like mega onion soups. I like that. Straight up pressure cooked onion soup is a little light on onion flavor, right? Um, because, but it's incredibly sweet. Um, I mean, garlic, the same thing. Most of my tricks are pressure cooking, like pressure cooking massive amounts of garlic to make sauces for pizzas uh, that are like half garlic. I mean, I, I do that, you know, pretty much all the time. I make a lot of sauces that way. Do we have any other good onion tricks? No? Ice cream, you said? I already said that. Anything? No? No? Go get yourself some Chinese chives. They're fantastic to cook with. Wilted, sautéed with uh, bacon. They're delicious. Um, Anyway, so uh, that is that. That is Cooking Issues, and come back next week. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. You got me all twisted. 
just can't get it straight.